Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler, and my guest today, which I am reaching out to right now, is Blair Horner. And Blair and I are going to have a discussion about redistricting. So as soon as he gets on the phone... I'm on. Okay, great. Hello? Uh, uh, so Blair and I are going to talk about redistricting uh, in New York State. So, Blair, have the lines been drawn yet? Well, in a classic New York fashion, there are two sets of maps uh, that have been drafted for public comment, uh, one drafted by uh, Democratic members of the state's redistricting commission and one set of maps drawn by the Republican members of the redistricting commission. And they're both out uh, for comment to the public and the comment period is going through basically through Thanksgiving. Which is next week, right? Yep. Yep. That's right. Oh, okay. So, um, I'm sorry. This will be aired around Thanksgiving. So, I'm taping this a little bit before uh, the week before Thanksgiving. So I know that we lost a seat. Tell us how that's going to work. Well, um, the every 10 years since 1790, the U.S. Constitution requires that the nation does a census. And the census is used to redraw political boundaries across the country uh, for the following 10 years. And so with regard to the census that occurred in 2020, the numbers came out, New York State loses a seat. It'll be up to the redistricting commission uh, to figure out what the new political boundaries will be. And if the, by the way, if the redistricting commission fails to do that, it will be up to the legislature and the governor um, to redraw the political boundaries to offset the loss of one of the currently 27 congressional seats in New York. So not only will the congressional map be redrawn, but also there's gonna, uh, the Senate, State Senate Assembly uh, will look different, correct? And even even localities, they'll look different also. How does that That's work? right. I mean... The, the census information that's provided, you know, the, the U.S. Census Bureau collects all this information. It goes back to the states. So this is a two-step process. One is what's called reapportionment, which is how the census says the states should apportion, reapportion the number of congressional seats. So there's all of that. New York lost one. And then there's something called redistricting, which is when the census information is used to redraw the political boundaries for all levels of government to reflect whatever population changes have occurred within that state or locality. So, you know, the, the, the state legislature is responsible for ultimately, and the governor, uh, responsible for approving a law that would set the new political boundaries for the Senate and Assembly. And then localities uh, set the uh, boundaries within their jurisdictions based on whatever population um, changes have occurred according to the census. So there's no reapportionment. It's not like some county legislative seat gets vaporized in, let's say, Albany County and moved over to Schenectady because of population changes. 
They just move within the boundaries of that particular county or in the state within the boundaries of the state. So under New York law, uh, there's 150 assembly seats. They'll get moved around based on the population changes. And the Senate is currently at 63 seats, but technically under the state constitution, if uh, lawmakers wanted to, they can add seats to the state Senate. So 10 years ago, uh, Andrew Cuomo added another seat, and he he made a stipulation about the redistricting this year. Do you remember what that was all about? Yeah, as part of the uh, governor, then Governor Cuomo's agreement with the state legislature, he agreed to approve the lines drawn by the legislature, and in that agreement, the state Senate added one seat, so they went from 62 to 63. And, um, and it was an effort by the Republicans in the Senate to add a seat to help them keep the majority. Obviously, it failed because now they're not in the majority anymore. <clears throat> um, but as part of the, the price for that, then Governor Cuomo got lawmakers to agree to a constitutional amendment to create what is called in the state constitution an independent redistricting commission, but which in reality is one split evenly between Democrats and Republicans. And as I mentioned earlier, um, the maps that people are in New York are commenting on so far are draft maps put out by half of the commission. Half the De- Republicans have their own maps, half the Democrats have their own maps. It's not really independent. It's more like a bipartisan redistricting commission. And they haven't agreed on a final set of maps to send to the legislature. They may never agree, but they haven't done that yet. So this, uh, I've been reading stuff about Tonko that his district will not look the same. Can you um, tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, um, there's different standards for um, how you draw the lines depending on the level of government. So in Congress, every congressional district has to have exactly the same number of people within plus or minus one person. So in New York, when map makers draw the maps, they have to have 26. They will now be proposing 26 congressional seats, all with basically the same number of people. Now, we don't know what it's going to look like yet because, as I mentioned before, the Democrats have maps, Republicans have maps, the maps don't match, so we don't know what's going to happen. But in in Tonko's district, um, which is going to encompass somewhere in the neighborhood of 730,000 people, the lines will be redrawn for Congressman um, Tonko's district based on population movement within the state And how that affects him, of course, we don't know yet because the final maps aren't done. But the geographic, the 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 I'm sorry, the demographic gravity is pulling the districts toward the Hudson Valley and New York City because that's where the population growth occurred, and where the state lost population is really in Central New York and the Southern Tier, and so those areas, the boundaries get pulled toward the Hudson Valley, because the Hudson Valley in New York City is where population growth occurred, and so that's where the people live. So the it could so it will probably affect Tonko's boundaries, 
Uh, but we don't know how yet because, of course, as I mentioned before, there's two sets of maps and they haven't agreed on what that's going to all look like yet. Because if I'm, I'm correct in, my, in, in what I read, Albany and Schenectady together will not be in Congressman Tonko's district, right? No, that nobody knows yet. The maps, the maps aren't finalized. It depends on what set of maps you look at. So the the Democratic maps look different than the Republican maps. The Republican maps um, do great damage to the political boundaries of uh, Tonko's current district. The Democratic lines don't. So you know it. And they're all interlocked, right? Because every member of Congress's district has to have the same number of people. So the the way you shape districts in Buffalo could have an effect on what district lines look like in Albany. So it's it's too early to say. I mean, Tonko's district will look different because everyone's districts will look different. But whether or not he is put in political peril uh, hinges on what the rest of the maps look like and. We won't know that until the end of the calendar year at the earliest. So because the um, Democrats are a majority in the House, I'm sorry, in the Assembly and in the Senate, do you think they have the upper hand in drawing uh, the districts more favorable to themselves? Well, sure. I mean, the way New York's current process works is there's this redistricting commission made up equally of Democrats and Republicans. They have got to, they're supposed to agree on a set of proposed maps that they get to the state legislature in January. The legislature then can approve or disapprove the maps. And it's a complicated process. And since we're on radio, I won't go through the whole thing. But if the legislature doesn't like the lines that the redistricting commission came up with, or the redistricting commission can't agree on the lines, then the legislature can draw their own lines. <clears throat> and under the complicated sets of voting in the New York state constitution, if one political party controls both houses, you need at least two thirds majorities in each house to approve a legislative initiative set of maps. The Democrats have two-thirds majorities in both houses. So if they want to draw their own lines, they can. You know, I don't think a lot of people understand that after the census and the um, maps are redrawn, that it's up to the state legislature to, um, to draw the maps the way, you know, they they deem, you know, whatever is good for them. So, you know, a lot of people concentrate when they look at voting, they they consider Congress, the White House, but yet the state legislature, which is important in redrawing the map, people don't seem to understand that they are the responsible, uh, the responsible party for for um, redrawing. Would you agree? Yeah, I think most people are um, 
not well aware of how the process works because it's a complicated and in some ways counterintuitive process. Like why would you allow lawmakers to draw their own political boundaries, right? I mean, it seems sort of, when you think, when you say the words out loud, it seems sort of crazy. But that is the system in New York. Not every state has it. California, for example, has an independent redistricting commission where the lines are drawn by someone, by people who have no relationship or very little relationship to the legislature or the members of Congress. But in New York, as it's always been, by the way, it's, this is not a new system. This is a system that's been in place with tweaks for, you know, 250 years. Um, wow. The lines are drawn by the legislature for the legislature and the members of Congress. And if the legislature can't agree, then it can go to the courts. So in the last go round, uh, the Republican-controlled Senate and the Democratic-controlled Assembly couldn't agree on district lines for Congress. And so the courts drew up the lines and sort of forced the legislature to act. But now, with Democrats, you know, with complete control over the legislature and the governor's mansion, because ultimately the governor has to approve these lines too, um, it is now, you know, up to them to do the lines for the state legislature and the Congress. And presumably Democrats will be looking out for their own partisan interests when they do so. But we don't know that for a fact yet. So um, the, the, there's 435 House seats. There has never been either more or less, it's always 435. And since the population of the United States has grown over the years, would you like to see that number increased? Well, it's been 435 for a long time, but it wasn't always 435. The Congress and the state legislatures can amend the Constitution to add House seats. But you're right. I mean, now these these districts are uh, have populations that are bigger than some states. You know, under the U.S. Constitution, every state is in, in, is allowed to have at least one House seat, no matter what the population is. So, teeny little Vermont has one congressional district, even though they have two U.S. senators. But their congressional district has fewer people in them than any of the 26 currently 27, soon to be 26. House seats in New York. So you can make a pretty good case that there could be more. Now, again, the, the downside to that is the more you have representatives in the House, the harder it is to manage. 435 people is already a lot to handle. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that it is certainly a reasonable thing to look at. Um, but if I had a magic wand, I would be looking at the U.S. Senate first because there it has no relationship to the population where dinky little Vermont, right. for example, has two U.S. Senate seats and the big state of California with 60 million people has only two U.S. Senate seats. So, you know, I mean, I think that I think, you know, the Constitution could use a little tweaking when it comes to this stuff, for sure. Has there been any talk of that happening? Noise, but no action. I mean, it's really hard to change the U.S. Constitution. And um, it happens. It happens in my life, in our lifetime. Um, when I was uh, going, turning 18, um, the uh, Congress had just, uh, the, the 
Congress had approved in uh, the spring of 1971, and then was approved by three fifths of the, uh, or yeah, three fifths of the states. An amendment to the by July, an amendment to the Constitution allowed 18-year-olds the right to vote in federal elections. And that was right. my first federal election was 1972, and so it does happen, but it's pretty rare. And if it's controversial, like taking away the power of somebody for somebody else, it's even harder still. So I, you know, I mean, the 18-year-old right to vote had been fought over since 1940 when they lowered the draft age to 18 from 21 been fought over from 1940 to 1971 before it actually happened. So, I mean, things, you know, changing the constitution is hard. So we're losing one seat. What state is gaining that seat? Well, you know, it's it's a good question. I mean, it's generally viewed that it's Minnesota. But who knows, right? I mean, the uh, Texas is adding two seats. Um, where do they come from? <laughs> right? So I don't know, right? Every state that yeah. loses a seat, the seat goes somewhere. Uh, there is a complicated mathematical formula when they do reapportionment that allows people to make various predictions. Uh, but our seat is not going to be in New York. And the cruelest part of it is if New York had – uh, counted 89 more individuals within the state, which they probably have, um, we would have kept the seat. Wow. That's how close it was. That's how close it was. In a, in a state of nearly 20 million people, 89 more may well, very well have meant that New York would have kept. Because New York's population did grow over the 10 years. It just didn't grow at the same rate as the national population growth rate. But we were just off. And that 89, we had pushed just a little bit harder and found 89 more people, assuming they were here. Uh, It's very, very, very possible that New York would not have lost a congressional seat. But, you know, as the uh, census went on, nobody knew that we would have uh, a deficit of 89 people, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely so, right, and you're like hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll be losing a seat, and in the past, you know, um, there's been states that lost seats, and one of the con- Congress people lost their seat because it's no longer there. Do you right. think that? Do you think that the threat of political rep, uh, repercussions over a uh, for, for a House member that's not exactly towing the party line would be in jeopardy? And that, and that well, works. I mean, Jen, go ahead. Do you think that? Um, Losing a seat or two could become a political weapon. Yes, is the short answer. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, you never know, right? Because all of the lines change, right? So how do you know for sure what's going on unless somebody admits to it? Um, and in New York, it's a little bit easier because uh, one member of the House, uh, Congress Member Reed from the 
Southern Tier Rochester area is retiring. And so that makes it pretty simple in terms of the musical chairs of districts, at least in that case, district. And that's among the areas that lost population in New York. So it sort of makes it a little bit easier in terms of the individuals. But whoever draws the lines, um, if they're going to look at it for partisan purposes, they're going to draw, draw the lines differently. And so you could lump together, for example, two members of one party into one district and have them fight it out. And that might open up another seat for the other party. So it's, again, it's hard to know now because all we have are these proposed maps and two sets of them to match, to boot. Um, and um, the redistricting commission will be wrapping up their hearing process and then they'll draw new lines. Now, whether or not they do one set or another set of two, I don't know, but they're supposed to send one set of maps to the state legislature for both Congress and the uh, state Senate and state assembly. So each state has a different way to do this? Is that well, not right? each state. Most, state. most states do it like New York, but there are states that do it differently. Um, Nebraska is very different, right, because they only have one state, one state legislative body. They don't have two. Uh, but um, California does it with a completely, you know, seemingly quite independent redistricting commission. And there are a bunch of states that have different versions of that. But the vast majority of states sort of follow, have a system similar to New York's. Texas does, Florida does. And um, so what, what matters is which party is controlling the state legislature in each of those states because they draw the lines. And it's pretty clear that the so-called red states, the states with Republican majorities, are looking to make as, to make the lines as favorable to Republicans as possible. And whether or not that happens in all the blue states is anyone's guess right now, but it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. But California, which is the bluest, biggest bluest state of all, be doing that because they have an independent redistricting commission. Has there, has there ever been talk of having an independent uh, commission in New York? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a big, big, big effort to do it, and that's why the state constitution changed in 2014. It's just in classic Albany fashion. They called it an independent redistricting commission, but it's not, and then sort of faked everybody out in New York to vote for it. And in reality, uh, it you know, it's a bipartisan commission, but the legislature is really in charge. Ultimately, that doesn't change even under the changes in the state constitution. So it was sort of a, you know, it was sort of a bait and switch in New York. But, yeah, there was a real effort. And the reason they bothered to do the bait and switch was because there was so much pressure from the public to fix the redistricting process because the lines in 2012 were so gerrymandered to benefit particularly the Senate Republicans. So uh, Cuomo created one more Senate district, and he more well again he didn't right. He agreed to lines that were drafted by the legislature. Okay. He didn't do it but unilaterally. He, he didn't have the power. But he kicked, he approved it. He kicked he kicked the can down the road, and now it's uh, Kathy Hochul's baby, right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes. I mean, he got the agreement he got, and that's that, and that's over. And so there'll be new lines drawn by 
you know, uh, either drawn by the state legislature or approved by the state legislature. And then ultimately, uh, current governor Kathy Hochul will have to approve the lines just like any other bill. The legislature has to advance them. The governor has to approve it. And then the governor can either approve or veto the lines. And then the legislature has the ability, if they wish, to try to um, override a gubernatorial veto. So whether or not Hochul goes along with the legislature or doesn't go along with the legislature, we'll know that probably sometime in the first couple months uh, of uh, 2022. So all of this redistricting stuff is just going to be added to all of the other stuff uh, that will be talked about and and negotiated. Wow. Does that make you... Does redistricting make your job harder? <laughs> well, it depends how you define my job. Uh, it certainly is a, I think it makes the deals on the budget connected to redistricting. I don't think anybody would ever agree to that. But I think, you know, again, I when the governor and the legislative leaders are trying to figure out how they're going to handle the budget, right, which is also going to be happening in the first few months of 2022, um, it's easy to see how it could be the case that agreements to help out in some area on in the budget could also be used as a way to uh, come to agreement on new district maps. I mean, what makes this different now than in the past on redistricting is the state's primary was moved from September to June, and so that accelerates all the timetables. You have to have the district lines in place basically in February so people know what districts they live in, and the budget gets done the next month. Right. Wow. Kathy Hochul certainly has her hands full, doesn't she? (laughs) Yes, she does. It's a big, complicated state, and she's got a, you know, she's got – She's got a very short time to have a very big impact, but she has a lot of big, big, big historical decisions to make over the next four months. Wow. So, Blair, uh, you're the executive director of NYPIRG. Uh We just have a very short time left. Tell everybody what NYPIRG, NYPIRG, uh does in the state of New York. <laughs> Well, uh, NYPIRG stands for New York Public Interest Research Group, and uh, we try to take a nonpartisan, non-ideological, pro-public view on the issues that we work on and try as best we can as to represent the public interest. Uh, not, we don't have any financial interest in the, you know, the outcome of any of these decisions. We just try to advocate for the best solutions to festering societal problems um, that, have, that are not you know, are not easily resolved. So we're involved in environmental issues, consumer protection issues, higher education issues, healthcare issues, mass transportation issues, as well as government accountability issues, including redistricting. Okay. So I'm sure that you and I will be talking throughout the legislative session. You've been listening to Blair Horner, Executive Director of NYPIRC. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is focused on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Blair, thank you, and have a great holiday season, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.